Let's bow our heads, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness as we sang earlier, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. You have seen us through as a church over the years and individually and as family over the years. And Lord, we do want to thank you that you are faithful when we are faithless. And you are worthy to be praised and you're worthy to be known. And you want us to know you. So Lord, I pray in this time that as we sit, Lord God, help our hearts and our minds and our ears to be focused on you and may you teach us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I've mentioned this before, but how many of you are big movie fans? Like movies? Some of you? All right, maybe you like TV shows? You like TV shows? How many of you like anthologies? Movie anthologies? You know what that means? Like a particular director or writer, they have a, a series of movies or a collection of movies, right? Those are always fun. They often come in trilogies, right? The trilogy of movies. What would you say is the greatest set of trilogy movies? Star Wars? All right, it used to be like, like Star Wars was a trilogy. Now it's became multiple trilogies, right? Star Wars, I heard what? what was Lord of the Rings. Rocky, before it became four, five, and six, and the Creed, right? Yeah. All right, those an- anthologies. Back to the Future, anything like it? Some would say, in someone's some opinion, The Godfather is like the greatest trilogy, right? And I, I prefer more faster-paced, right? Godfather's great. I prefer faster-paced stuff like Star Wars and stuff like that. And we all know Marvel movies. Marvel movies have attempted to do this, right? A lot of these series of movies are individual stories, but these individual movies come together to make a bigger storyline, right? Or at least that's the attempt to, right? And some are more successful than others, right? You, Marvel movies, it's like a it's a, yeah, it, 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 it's a roll of dice whether it's going to be good or not. You know, I don't know. But some movies do those things. And it's interesting that fans and critics alike, when they look at, watch these movies, especially the ones that are part of an anthology or a trilogy or a major storyline, that a lot of fans and critics, they'll take the time to see to poke holes at it, right? First, to see if there's any Easter eggs that... That, that, that connect all the movies together, right? So that was the fun part about Marvel movies is that to find the little Easter eggs and that connect these movies together. But also there are the critics, right? Those are, there are some diehard fans and critics who will poke holes and see the inconsistencies in the storylines. That's where Star Wars kind of, you know, went off the rails, went off the tracks because you're like, wait, this isn't real Star Wars, right? And all that kind of stuff. But that, that tends to happen, and, and especially when you have different directors and writers writing these movies, it's difficult to write individual stories that fit into a larger storyline without these inconsistencies, right? You can try to connect them, but it's not easy to find one that has no inconsistencies, no plot holes, but speak of not only individual stories, but a greater story with consistency. And so it's, I, I don't know if you've like watched story, uh, TV shows, if you're a fan of uh, a seri- a series shows, that you can get into a story, but after a while, you're just like waiting for the finale, right? You're like, all right, how is this going to end? 
or maybe a series of movies, you're wondering, how is this going to end? And oftentimes, the finale is a little disappointing, huh? Right? Especially a long-running series, you get to the final episode, and you're like, hmm, that's it? (laughs) I expected a little bit more. They didn't answer my questions, right? So oftentimes, the final end is a little disappointing, or it doesn't meet expectations. It's interesting. The Bible is composed of numerous stories. I don't know how many stories. I didn't attempt to count how many stories are in the Bible. Numerous stories of real people, real events, described in many different chapters, composed in 66 books, penned by around 40 different authors, spanning different eras of human history, different cultures, yet all are part of a cohesive storyline. From Genesis to Revelation. How is that possible? How is that possible? Well, we believe, of course, that while men penned the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit is the source of inspiration, right? God is the mind and the real storyteller. God is that main character throughout the story. He is the star of the story, and we are blessed to be a part of that story. And so if those of you who may not have been with us since the beginning, I looked back, I started this series back in May. So it's been nine months And we are just getting into Genesis 10 (laughs) and 11. I promise it will go a little bit faster, right? But from the beginning of our series, I introduced the series and I said, here's the threefold purpose that I hope for in our time together. One, we want to better understand God and better understand his story of Scripture. We want to better understand ourselves, to have a healthy understanding of ourselves, not how the world wants to see us, not how we see ourselves in our mirror when we look at ourselves, what we read in some secular book, but how should we understand ourselves in a healthy manner? How does God see us? And how do we understand our story, understand our life? And then thirdly, better understand God in our story. How do we understand God in our life? That God isn't just some distant being or just some ancient person, character in an old book, but God is present in our story. So those threefold purposes in our study. And I want to encourage us to get the most of our time. We must do three things. One, we need to study. We need to be students. We need to be willing to learn. And then third, secondly, I'm sorry, not third, secondly, we need to reflect. We need to think about it, right? That's why I have those things occasionally marinate, right? That phrase at the end of my messages, to marinate over something. We need to let it, God's word, flavor us, get us thinking. And then thirdly, we need to be able to apply what we hear, what we're learning, what we're hearing, what we're thinking about, right? So those three things, study, reflect, and apply. Well, today we begin wrapping up a chapter of God's story. If you haven't been with us, you can go on YouTube, whatever, look back at our previous messages, nine months of messages, have at it, right? 
Um, and where we left off in Genesis, we left off with God's blessing after the flood. God blesses Noah. He blesses his sons. He blesses their descendants. He blesses all the generations afterwards. He blesses the whole earth. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, just as he said from the very beginning of creation. And then he made promise. He made a covenant with, the, with them and all the earth. He says, I will never again destroy the world as I did with the flood, with the flood waters. So he made that covenant, and he said, this is the sign of my covenant and the rainbow in the sky. So that's where we had left off, and we're going to pick up in verse 18. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. It says this. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. (coughs) And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Now I'm going to stop there. So these verses introduce the start, if I can say, a new chapter in the story. We're seeing the beginning of the repopulation of the earth, but also the beginning of families, the beginning of languages, the beginning of lands, right? Lands being distinct with different people groups, and we're going to see the beginning of nations. We see that Genesis is the beginning of life, right? But it's also the beginning of the story of God and his people. And I, I keep trying to remind us we have to keep in mind that Genesis in context is first relevant to his the first audience right the first audience is the Israelites right that's the first audience of hearing this we have to understand first their context of what they're hearing how they're to understand it right but it's also the beginning of God's relationship with his people and that includes you and I so for the Israelites they are being reminded of their origin, their origin story, not only of life in general, but the origin of how they became a people, how they got into the situation that they are currently in, and also to understand how their world around them, the people groups around them, right? So we see here in this verse that, uh, in verse 18 and 19, talking about where the population of earth began. And there's a conspicuous detail in verse 18, And it's the inclusion of Ham being the father of Canaan, right? We see in verse 18, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Why is that interesting, right? In the next chapters, we're going to see the descendants of Noah's three sons laid out. But only here with Ham's son Canaan do we see the son of one of Noah's three sons being explained, right? So there's going to be some significance in that. As we go on in Genesis and throughout the Old Testament, we'll see the significance of the relationship between the Israelites and Canaan. Okay, so we'll see that as we go along, Lord willing, especially when we get into Exodus and so forth. But now in verses 20 and 29, it describes a very surprising incident between Noah and his youngest son, Ham. Verse 20. Then Noah began farming and planting a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. 
And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Okay, now I gotta admit, this is not the ideal passage for our church anniversary celebration, right? It just happened to fall along that lines, right? What a weird situation. Here's a scenario. Noah, they're going out of the ark. He says, all right, I'm going to start cultivating the land. He makes a vineyard, and out of the vineyard, he creates wine. And I guess in the wine, he has a little too much to drink. So much so that I, whether he's staggering into his tent, I don't know. He goes into his tent, undresses, and I assume just passes out, collapses in his tent bare butt in the air, hopefully at least, right? What a great story. Let me move on so that we don't, our minds don't start to wander. Here comes Ham, the youngest son. For whatever reason, we're not given a whole lot of details here, but all we're told is Ham goes into his father's tent, sees his father's nakedness, goes out and tells his brothers. I think I'm glad we don't know too much details. Verse 23. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Now perhaps your first reaction to this story is, what happened to Noah? Right, The last description of Noah we had is he was the lone righteous one in his generation. He's the only one who walked with God. He was faithful and obedient to God. That is the, he was thankful when he came out of the ark. That's the last description of Noah. But here we see Noah in a very compromising situation. What well, it tells us that righteousness described when God viewed Noah as righteous doesn't mean he was sinless, nor was he perfect. Certainly. It's kind of interesting. We don't see any direct condemnation from God here. God doesn't confront Noah here in this situation. Well, or at least we don't see it. We're not told that. God doesn't address this with Noah. We're not given any indication anyone else was even affected by Noah's indiscretion. Right, we, don't, we don't get details that no one else was affected by what Noah's decision was except him being in the wrong place, certainly at the wrong time, perhaps even for the wrong reasons. However, just a little side note, just because we do not expect anyone to be affected by our behavior, it doesn't mean that we are aware of the effects of our behavior. Right? We may not realize or even anticipate the effects that our decisions are to other people. We may not intend to affect others. Maybe we make some bad choices. We went too far. We did things we weren't supposed to do. And we thought in our minds, I'm going to go somewhere safe. No one's going to be around me. And no one's going to be affected. And we may not realize the effect we have on other people especially our loved ones. I certainly don't think Noah expected what his youngest son was going to do. And we don't know exactly 
All that is referred to when it says Ham saw the nakedness of the father. There's all different theories that I'm not going to get into. But at the very least, Ham dishonored his father. And he dishonored his father even more by going out and telling his brothers about it. Again, we don't know all the details. But there seems to be some kind of dishonor that he had against his father. And to better understand Ham's sin, the, the, the levity of it, compare it to his brothers, what his brothers did. What did his two older brothers do? They went in and they went backwards like, oh, we don't want to see. I don't know if I'm on camera or not, but we don't want to see and we're going to cover our father's nakedness. So they recognize he needs to be covered, but we're not going to see it. We're going to honor him by doing so and we're going to leave. So there was something dishonoring about what Ham had done. And you can see that how there's high value placed on honor and dishonor, especially in Scripture. <clears throat> so, okay, what's the lesson here? This is not going to be the whole message, right? But, but what's the lesson here? Knock before you enter your parents' room, right? That's a good lesson. I think we've all been there before, perhaps. Haphazardly, we barge into a parents' room like, oh! You think the bathroom is not being occupied, and apparently it is. We've all been there, right? Knock before you enter your parents' room. That's a good tip, right? But besides that, another lesson, intoxication leads to compromise. Unwise decisions. Intended and unintended shameful acts. Alcohol can compromise a person's character. It could ruin anyone's reputation in an instant, in a moment. It certainly leads to foolish behavior, unwise speech, and decisions. And if I would admonish any of us today, if you do drink alcohol, know your limits and stop way before that. Know your limits and stop way before that. Because it's a downhill slide that's hard to break and stop. And you may not be aware of the effects of the people around you, especially your loved ones. So be careful. Even Noah found himself. And while his conduct, maybe he thought he was safe for himself, certainly affects Afterwards, Noah will proclaim, Noah found out what his youngest son did, and he proclaims a curse on him, or actually on his descendant, and blessings in verses 25 through 27. Ham was Noah's youngest son, and Noah curses Ham's youngest son. Why? We're not given a clear reason why. We're not given a clear reason why he says it to Canaan and not Ham himself. I think Noah's curse will prove prophetic considering the history, the future history and conflict between the Israelites and the Canaanites. But it says in verses 26 and 27 that Canaan shall be a servant of servants to his brothers, referring to the descendants of Japheth and Shem. Okay, I'm not going to get into that today. 
Chapter 10 lays out the genealogies of Noah's three sons. Japheth's genealogy is laid out in verses 2 through 5. Ham's genealogy is laid out in verses 6 through 20. And part of Shem's genealogy is laid out in verses 21 and 32. There's a lot of interesting notes in chapter, chapter 10. A lot of interesting things about Noah's three sons and their genealogies. And I'm not going to get into all of them here because I think I lost you at the word of genealogy, right? You hear the word genealogy, you're like, okay, I could just not even worry about this. But it's very interesting, especially because it's the start of a lot of things, origin stories. It's important to understand the context of the Old Testament, that these are people that trace back to an ancestor, to understand the, the backdrop of what you're going to read throughout the Old Testament, right? Origin stories are important. It's also the beginning of the world as we see it, as we know. When we look out into the world, we think of countries, nations, tribes, peoples, neighborhoods, like who you're named after, family names, all those kind of things. All that in the world that we understand today traces back to the origins of what we just read. So Ham's genealogy in, this, in chapter 10 seems to be given the most attention here with the focus on two branches of Ham's line, Cush and Canaan. Chapter 21 through 32 and later in chapter 11 focuses on Noah's oldest son, Shem, specifically through his great-great-grandsons, Peleg and Joktan. How many of you would name your kid Peleg? Maybe your dog. Peleg's genealogy will be the focus in chapter 11, okay? Chapter 10, I know, I, know you're, I feel you drifting off. Hang with me, okay? Chapter 10 is commonly known as the table of nations. Okay, chapter 10, verse 32. These are the families of the sons of Noah. So he goes through all the genealogies. These are the sons of Noah according to the genealogies by their nations. And out of these nations were separated on this earth after the flood. So we see here the spread of mankind, the beginning of nations. Just as God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, people began to fill the earth. Real quick, Japheth's line, I'm doing this at the, expense, at the risk of losing you even more. Japheth's line, I'm going to do some highlighting stuff, right? Japheth's line, if you've read the Old Testament at all, maybe this name is familiar, Magog, if you've read Ezekiel at all. Magog was a defendant, or descendant of Japheth. Ham's line, Nimrod. Now you're like, why is Nimrod familiar? Maybe you called somebody a Nimrod. No, that's not the kind of Nimrod we're talking about. Nimrod, who we'll mention next week, will be the son of Cush, okay? He'll be significant next week. Perhaps you've never heard the name Kuzlahim, but you may recognize the name the Philistines. Who was a Philistine? Goliath, right. Canaan is the father of the Canaanites, right? Who would be known as the father of the Canaanites. The land of Canaan will later be very significant. It will be known as what? The promised land. And that will be the focal point of much of the Old Testament, right? And from Canaan's line comes different people groups. The Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites. All these ites, right, coming from Ham's line. Shem's line doesn't get into much detail in chapter 10. Perhaps Aram may be familiar. But the significance of Shem's line will be more significant in chapter 11. Okay? 
So here's the table of the nations. Here's one map of the table of nations. I'll only show this to you to get a picture. The different color coats, I forget the colors from up there, shows the different spreading of the people groups throughout the world, starting in the focus of three different continents. Japheth's genealogy started to spread north into Europe. Okay, Ham's line from Palestine all the way down south to Africa. And then you have Shem's line centered around Asia, particularly that Mesopotamian area. Okay, so that's one map. Here's another map. And this shows a little bit more color-coded. Hopefully it shows up on the screen well. Here's another map that shows how the people groups began to spread, all the nations and so forth. Now, some people had endeavored to map out the spreading of people through genetic tracing. Now, this is beyond me. I am not a scientist, but I'm just going to trust that they do this. They've traced genetic codes and the possibilities of how they migrated throughout the world. It's very fascinating, right? I think it shows that we can all, we come from different backgrounds, but we can be traced to a single ancestor. Right, very interesting, right? So here's the work of some people to trace the genetic codes and, and markings to, to see how people spread around the world. Pretty fascinating, pretty interesting. Why I bring this all up? This should point into, this should give some perspective in how we think of commonality and diversity, right? How we think of commonal, commonality and diversity, some of you may think that, you know, you're, you're very unique, your people grew, your culture is very unique, very different from everybody else. And if you stay within your own little cultural bubble, you may think, well, we, we are the people who are like this and everybody else is just kind of, they have their own thing. But if you get to know different people, different cultures, you get to understand people from different surroundings, different neighborhoods, different countries, and so forth. What you will realize is that there's a lot more we share in common than we have differences. Some may just highlight certain things more than others. Some may emphasize certain things more than others. But we share much more than we have in differences. We have much more in common. How many of you have ever said something about Asian parents before? Oh, Asian parents. Gosh, they're always like this. They do this, they do this, and all stuff like that, right? And you think it's only Asian parents who do this. And so maybe you may talk to people and say, well, there's non-Asian, but like, oh, yeah, well, you don't have parents like us, Asian parents. Now, they're this way. You may not realize that, you know, their parents can just be as strict, just as tough, just as loving, whatever it may be. But because you've been in your own little bubble, your own little mini world, That's all you know, and you think everybody else is different. But in reality, we share a lot more universal commonalities than we have differences. We just may group in a different environment, different culture, different neighborhood. And a biblical worldview understands that if we're all created in the image of God, that we are all valued by God. We are given value by God as our creator, not because of where we live, not where we were born, not because of what language we speak, not because of what our culture is. That doesn't give us our value in God's eyes. It's God as our creator. We are created in the image of God. 
And this is an important concept to understand, especially today's world. It's, it's kind of funny to combat racism or prejudice. It seems like the world is becoming more divisive. We see the, each other's differences and we define each other with our differences that we don't seek a coming out of understanding that, look, we're both people. We share the same struggles. We can enjoy the same things. And if we can understand each other and realize that we're not so different from each other, despite looking different, or families looking different, or growing up in somewhere that's different, perhaps we can have more commonality than differences. Next, we're going to see the event that led to the spreading of the nations with the Tower of Babel. What are some lessons from the beginnings, right? We've been looking at the beginnings. Genesis is the book of beginnings. I started off talking about storytelling, right? And before we go any further in Genesis, going into the next chapter, I want us to understand the bigger picture of the story that God is showing us. We've seen a lot of beginnings in Genesis, different origin stories so far. Among them, we've seen the beginnings of creation and life, the origins of how life came to be, that we all have a creator, an intelligent designer, purposeful, meaningful, that this didn't all come from an accident, random events, coincidental events. But the Bible provides the origin story of life and it starts from a creator. We see the beginning of relationships. That God created man to have relationship. Relationship with each other. We started off with the very first human relationship which was husband and wife. But not only that, but he created us to have relationship with God. That we can have relationship with our creator. An intimate relationship. That that's how God designed and purposed us to have. To have relationship with him. We've seen throughout, God speaks to his people. God moves, he provides. He does all this for his creation. But we also saw the beginning of sin, Right? With freedom and desire came disobedience. The beginning of sin, the beginning of disobedience. And that led to the beginning of conflicts. From the first moment that Adam and Eve took of the fruit and they realized they disobeyed God, they realized shame and guilt. And there entered conflict with God, but also conflict with each other. Right? Husband and wife. Conflict. And from that point on, God didn't say, all right, no longer you can't, you can't be with each other anymore. Or no longer you're, you're done with me. But he said, now you're going to have to learn to live and deal with this conflict. This is going to be your reality. Right? These are the consequences of disobedience with God. And there, there enters the conflict we have with God. Right? But then we also will see the beginning of nations, people groups. We'll start looking at that next week. Throughout the bigger story, we're going to see a reoccurring theme throughout Scripture. This reoccurring theme is one, God's intentions. 
What did God intend for man? What did God intend for his people? But then we're going to also see what man's corruption, how time after time man tends to corrupt God's intention. What God had intended for good, man seems to mess it up. We saw that in the garden, and we're going to see that cycle, that theme throughout Scripture. But God, his faithfulness, his goodness, God intervenes. We see the theme of God's intervention, not leaving to just man's corruption to doom him, but God will intervene. His grace, his forgiveness, his love, and his mercy. And we'll see this thing throughout Scripture, and I bet you, you'll see that in your life as well. How many times God intended something good for us, we make some bad decisions, but yet God still intervenes in our life, helps us in our weaknesses, in our indiscretions. Perspectives. Perspectives affect how we understand a story, right? And certainly how we understand scripture. When I grew up, I grew up with Bible stories. How many grew up with Bible stories? You grew up going to church, you read Bible stories and stuff like that, right? I always grew up with the Bible stories. There was never a point in my life where I, I approached the Bible as like an unbeliever. Not even really a skeptic. I kind of grew up just believing what the Bible says was true. So I don't have that perspective of an atheist or a skeptic of an unbeliever approaching Scripture. It wasn't until maybe the last 10 years that even through seminary, right? Yeah, I went through seminary and I studied all those things. But even in my years of seminary, to be honest with you, I was so busy just trying to get a good grade in the class, balancing ministry, balancing family life, and being a student and being a worker, all those kind of things, that I studied to learn but not to evaluate all the time. And it wasn't until the last 10 years that I really made a conscious decision to take a step back and not just learn how to defend my position, but to evaluate my position. Why do I believe this? I know what I've always heard from the pastor that I trusted when I, became, when I made a conscious decision to grow spiritually, to take some responsibility in my faith. There are some pastors that I just always relied upon. That's who I learned from. That's who I listened to. And then in the last thing, I take a step back and say, okay, let me evaluate what I believe, why I believe. Not just learning how to defend what I believe, but why I believe it, right? Scripture will evoke a lot of questions, right? And we started with a lot of this from our very beginning. And a lot of these questions, if you read Scripture at all, you may have some questions of why, right? I covered some of these questions in our study. Why? Why did God create this way? Right? Why did God create man? Why did God create the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the first place? Why didn't God start from scratch after the flood? Why didn't he just blow it all up? Just crumble it up and start all over, right? We've asked those questions. And many of these questions aren't directly answered, right? We don't say like, we don't read, thus saith the Lord, this is why I did this. We don't always see those things. So we have to be able to piece it together in the story of Scripture to see what is the consistent message, what is the consistent story of Scripture that tells us so that we can understand and how to understand these questions that we have. 
Some questions we can find in the story. Some are left a little bit of a mystery, right? And many of these questions are not directly answered. And for some, these unanswered questions are like a nagging curiosity, right? How many of you have a nagging curiosity question that you've had all these years, you're not quite sure what the answer is, right? Your, your faith doesn't hang on it, right? You're not like in peril, but you're like, there's a question I just don't know how to answer. Some people, they're nagging questions that are left unanswered. Some of them shake their faith, right? Unanswered why questions can lead to accusatory questions. Is God cruel for wiping out virtually all humanity in the flood? Was God cruel for doing that? Is God unfair for planting the tree of knowledge of good and evil, knowing Adam and Eve will eat of their fruit? Is God unfair? Right? Did God create evil? And if God created evil, does that make God evil? Some of these questions can shake a person's faith, right? Maybe some of you are in here in, this, in that situation. You have these questions, and you're just not quite sure if you can fully commit to it because there's some questions that are left unanswered, and you're not sure how to answer them. How do we answer these questions? I would say first, we need to be learners, You have to want to be learners of God and his story. You have to want to find the answers, to understand the answers. When I say there's a story being told, what is the story being told? Right, what is the story here? Why do we come here? Why do I speak up here? Why do we have CE and Friday Night Fellowship? What's the point in understanding it? And I would say one of the most influential factors in understanding and helping us understand scripture is to understand the story being told from beginning to end. That's crucial. Because any theology you might have, any belief system you might have must be consistent with the story being told. Because God is not telling a contradictory story. There are not plot holes in God's story. There aren't inconsistencies with God and his story. And if we have these nagging questions, like, well, this seems contradictory, you gotta hold up the whole story of scripture. Because the God of the Old Testament isn't a different God from the New Testament. Jesus isn't different from the Old Testament that we read. Right? It's a story that we're, we need to understand There was a story being told to the audience then, the Israelites then, who are first hearing this. They're reminded of their history. They're reminded of the story of going on around them. It was relevant to them. And here it's relevant to us today. We're not so far different from the Israelites. Trust me, when we get into Exodus, you're gonna see yourself. You're going to see your response. You're going to see how you would respond in those situations. We're no different. 
in many ways. How is it relevant to us today? Origins. It's not just the origin of God's people, Israelites, but it's the origins of God's people, the church. It's the origins of our world as we know it today. And I want to encourage those of you, if you have questions about your faith, I'm glad you're here. Because I want this to be a place where you can discover answers, whether it's in a moment, in a sermon, or whatever, or over the course of time. Whatever it takes to unravel the knots that you have inside or to not wrestle with certain questions that you might have, I'm glad you're here. We want to help you find those answers. We want healthy theologies. We want to have healthy understanding of God's word. We want to better understand God's story, better understand God. We want to better understand ourselves in a healthy way, understand our story, and we want to better understand God in our story. How do we understand God in our life, even in our crisis moments? Do we have a healthy understanding of God in our crisis moments? And I encourage us to get the most out of our time. You got to study. You got to reflect. And you got to apply. You got to want to learn. You got to want to know God more. You got to want to know his story more. You want to, got to know, like, how does God fit in my life? How do I understand my circumstances? How am I supposed to understand God when I'm in this situation? He's not a different God than the God we read of in the Bible, right? In wrap, wrapping up this month, we recognize the start of Generations Church, right? The start of Generations. We look forward in anticipation, right? Birthdays, you have a birthday, you look forward to your, your years to come. But we would be remiss if we don't remind ourselves of our past, right? What lessons to learn, what lessons to grow from, so that in health we can go forward, pressing onward, our theme of the year, in a healthy way, to see things in a more healthy way. God has good intentions for us. Some of us need to hear that. God has good intentions for us. I think sometimes we mess it up, right? We mess things up sometimes. Many times. All the time. But we also want God's intervention, don't we? We need God to come into our situation. God, can you intervene in this moment. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness to us. You've shown yourself faithful through the years And Lord, we just pray that you would give us a, help us to have a, this growing hunger and desire to know you more. To know that the God of the Bible, the God of the Israelites, is the same God we worship. 
The God who intervened then is the same God who intervenes today. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.